These are true stories from the files of the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. What you're about to hear is not a news broadcast, nor is it affiliated or officially associated with the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. Join me. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. At 2 p.m. on November 24th, 1971, a man purchased a one-way coach ticket on a Northwest Airlines Boeing 727 from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. He paid in cash, claimed his name was Dan Cooper, and carried only a briefcase. The press later dubbed this man D.B. Cooper. Once the plane was in flight, he handed a note to Florence Schaffner, a stewardess. She thought little of it at first because male passengers often slipped phone numbers to the stewardesses. At one point, Cooper quietly told Schaffner, Miss, you better take a look at that note, which told he had a bomb in his briefcase. Cooper opened his case to reveal sticks of dynamite and ordered Schaffner to pass the note to the captain, but for her and the other crew members not to spread alarm, acting casual and behaving as if nothing was out of the ordinary. The note also ordered the captain to divert the plane to Seattle, which the pilots did, informing the air traffic control of the hijacking. However, they told the passengers they were diverting due to mechanical failure. Cooper also requested four parachutes, two front pack and two backpack, and $200,000 in cash, asking that the plane not land until their requests were met. The FBI put together the ransom money. Each bill was photographed and the serial numbers were documented. Cooper insisted the plane be immediately refueled upon landing in Seattle. He wanted the plane to stay on the runway and not be taxied to the terminal. He also did not want any of the passengers released until his demands were met. At 5.43 p.m., the plane landed at the Seattle airport and was parked in a remote area of the field. While the passengers grumbled, they never suspected they were being hijacked. Once on the ground, an FBI agent took the money and parachutes to one of the flight attendants, who then took the items to Cooper. No one knew that one of the parachutes was defective. The FBI was worried that he would use the chutes to take hostages. Finally, he ordered the flight crew to release the passengers but continued to keep the captain and one of the flight attendants captive. He then had the plane take off again at 7.37 p.m., having it fly from Seattle to Mexico City at a height of 10,000 feet and a speed of 200 miles per hour. He agreed to stop for refueling in Reno, Nevada, and requested to have the back stairwell down. However, the plane could not fly in this condition, so it was not done. At around 8.10 p.m. over the Lewis River in southern Washington, Cooper opened the rear exit door while in flight and jumped with the cash, no visible protective gear, and only a parachute into darkness. Cooper, the money, and the parachutes were never seen again. In November of 1978, a plastic sign from a Boeing 727 was discovered in the woods near the Bellout area. Fifteen months later, on February 10, 1980, some of the cash was found dredged in the mud near the Columbia River, 25 miles from his apparent jump point. These clues suggest to some that Cooper either perished in the woods or landed in the river and drowned. 
However, many others believe from his coolness and planning that he actually survived and got away with one of the most daring crimes of the 20th century. Some believe he would have been unable to navigate the difficult terrain he landed in, especially if he was injured and wearing only a business suit. However, others suggest he may have been wearing more suitable clothing underneath the suit that may have helped him. There have been several theories as to who Cooper really was. One suspect was Richard McCoy, who hijacked a plane in April of 1972. He extorted $500,000 but was arrested during his hijacking attempt. After he escaped from prison several months later, he was killed in a gun battle with the FBI. Due to the similarities in the crimes and their photos, some believe that McCoy and Cooper were the same person. When Unsolved Mysteries re-examined the case, they had a new composite of Cooper made. Working with a new forensic artist, they gave Florence Schaffner, the stewardess to which he gave the note, a chance to recommission a new likeness. Most of the Americans who heard his voice said that he had a Midwestern accent. It was also believed that due to Cooper's demands for parachutes and his escape that the man was a military veteran, likely certified as a paratrooper. In 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near a logging road about 13 miles east of Castle Rock, Washington, well north of Lake Merwin, but within Flight 305's basic flight path. In February 1980, 8-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River at a beach known as Tina Bar about nine miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington, and 20 miles southwest of Ariel. He uncovered three packs of ransom cash as he raked the Sandy Riverbank to build a campfire. The bills were significantly disintegrated, but still bundled in rubber bands. FBI technicians confirmed the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Two packets of $120 bills each, and a third packet of 90, all arranged the same order as when given to Cooper. In 2017, a group of volunteer investigators uncovered what they believed to be a parachute strap and a piece of foam suspected of being a part of Cooper's backpack in the Pacific Northwest. In late 2007, the FBI announced that a partial DNA profile had been obtained from three organic samples found on Cooper's clip-on tie, but later acknowledged there is no evidence the hijacker was the source of the sample material. They also disclosed that Cooper chose the older of the two primary parachutes supplied to him rather than the technically superior professional sport parachute. In March 2009, the FBI disclosed that Tom Kay, a paleontologist from the Burke Museum of Natural History and Culture in Seattle, had assembled a team of citizen sleuths and were able to find and analyze hundreds of minute particles on Cooper's tie. In 2011, Kay suggested Cooper may have worked around metals or chemicals. In 2017, Kay reported that rare minerals had also been identified among the particles from the tie. One of the rare applications for such elements in the 1970s was Boeing's supersonic transport development project, suggesting the possibility that Cooper was a Boeing employee. Agents also theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgian comic book series from the 1970s, featuring the fictional hero Dan Cooper, a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot, who took part in numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. Because the Dan Cooper comics were never translated into English nor imported to the United States, they speculated he may have encountered them during a tour of duty in Europe. The Cooper research team suggested the alternative possibility that Cooper was Canadian 
and found the comics in Canada where they also were sold. They noted his specific demand for negotiable American currency, a phrase seldom ever used by American citizens. Since witnesses stated that Cooper had no distinguishable accent, Canada would be his most likely country of origin if he were not a United States citizen. According to Seattle FBI agent Larry Carr, he too believes Cooper was inspired by the French comic book Dan Cooper. Carr thinks it's highly unlikely that Cooper survived the jump. He thinks he could have served in the Air Force at some point and was stationed in Europe, where he may have become interested in the Dan Cooper comic books. He also thinks he may have worked as a cargo loader on planes, giving him knowledge and experience in the aviation industry, which was in its infancy in 1971. Because his job required him to throw cargo out of planes, Cooper would have worn an emergency parachute in case he fell out giving him knowledge of parachutes, but not necessarily the functional knowledge to survive the jump he made. He may have came from the East Coast, but taken an aviation job in Seattle when he got out of the military. It's possible he lost his job during the economic downturn in the aviation industry in 1970-1971. If he was a loner with little to no family, nobody would have missed him after he was gone. Due to the high publicity of the case, several suspects were considered, which was fueled by multiple widows claiming their late husbands confided to them on their deathbeds that they were Dan Cooper. Due to a lack of leads, the FBI closed their investigation into the case in 2016. However, since then, there still have been new leads and possible suspects identified. The FBI has not made a comment on these individuals, and to date, this is the only unsolved skyjacking in the history of aviation. This case originally aired on the October 12th, 1988 episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and as of this recording, it remains unsolved. Some of these stories remain unsolved. Perhaps someone out there listening holds the vital answer to solving the mystery. Perhaps it's you.